Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, this very Christmas night show. <laughs> okay. Don't Christmas die on night, Christmas. Yeah. Don't die on Christmas. Are, are, That's are the we- worst. Are we Christmas night or Christmas Eve? I don't know. Mike, are we Christmas Eve or Christmas night? Whatever. It, whatever. <laughs> okay, so either. Whichever it is, just roll with it. <laughs> well, Swedish people celebrate Christmas Eve because I was told as a kid, because Santa gets to Sweden first, so you do it like Christmas Eve. That's funny always- you say that, because Amy's family, her, her dad's Swedish, and that's the big deal is Christmas Eve. We don't yeah, call we it all, on Christmas Day. It was always Christmas Eve, and, and all you did was the, the guy, the men in my family got drunk and watched football on Christmas Day. I, is it football on Christmas Day? Now it's basketball. When I was a kid, it used to be football. Uh, yeah, I thought it was college ball. Yeah, but now it's basketball. Basketball has five games on Christmas Day. Anyways, wow. it's Christmas, but... Even more than that, I'm moving and I'm working at the rehab, Chuck. I went back to work, as we talked about a few episodes back. You know the problem with working? You have to go back there. You have to go back there over and over again. <laughs> you know, that's, I found that it really gets in the way of my free time. And it, it it'll ruin a perfectly good Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday sometimes. But like, you know, it, Rehab and well, treatment, not recovery, but treatment has its days where it's where it's magic. So you're experiencing it. I was experiencing. I just can't tell you. I've done groups the last month or so. The people are so wonderful. The people are motivated. They understand. They don't argue. It's like, who are these fucking people that are in rehab post COVID? Who are they? <laughs> you know, I got. I got. Have you I've noticed a change? Have you noticed well, a change? Uh, it's funny you would say that because I, I've got a client that takes notes the whole time. Yeah, that I'm there running a, groups. There was a woman doing that in my group last <laughs> night, and, I, and I'm like, I, I, I was, I, I was kind of getting self conscious about it, and I go, make sure to include that I stopped and took a breath before I finish this next thing because it's just like, man, the idea of someone writing down almost everything you say how verbatim. How is- awesome this woman was. And she was, she was like in her late twenties, early thirties, she's taking notes. And then I, you know, I'm kind of thrown off like what you're saying. And she goes, Oh, I hope you don't mind. I'm just taking notes, like <laughs> taking notes in rehab. So that led me into a whole tangent of, do you know what rehab was like five years ago? Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? You had <laughs> 40 kids who didn't want to be here whose parents worked in some school district union and, and they all were playing grab ass and fuck you. And, and none of them wanted to be sober and half of them are dead now. That's, that's what happened in 2017. Right. Well, yeah. And the ones that aren't dead, they've burned out their insurance and they're not getting stays anymore. Well, yeah. And insurance changed a lot, but, but man, the people, and at first, the first couple of times it really threw me. And then I, and then I kind of, I was telling everybody, it's kind of like they're older, they're alcoholic. And then last night, no, they're not. Like most of them are in their late twenties, early thirties. They're just mature adults for compared to, I mean, I'm not saying they're, 
you know, going to be running for Congress or anything, but, but they are so <laughs> they head and shoulders. Well, maybe they could. <laughs> They're head and shoulders above the crowd in the rehab gold rush years. And I don't know, how is that possible? What happened? How did, how did the addicts in treatment become more mature, more motivated, serious about their recovery, still argumentative about God and AA and, and, and weed, you know, and <laughs> oh, Suboxone and Suboxone. We had a Suboxone discussion. They, they always ask me the same fucking question. What's mm. your opinion on Suboxone? And I'd say, if we were friends, I'd be happy to share that with you. <laughs> oh, do you? Is that what you yeah. say? Is I've that what you back. say? Yeah, I've stepped back from it altogether because I said, that's between that's between you and your oh, doctor. that's a pussy way out. It's that's absolutely a not. shit way out. It's yeah. not because I'll tell you why. I I've never been on Suboxone. So oh, I think I people should. Oh, okay, I people, have, so. I think people should share from experience, especially since I'm not. I'm simply a counselor and there are plenty of people who will speak up at that point. I've got people that are first time on Suboxone, people that will never get on it again, people that are afraid to try it. And I let them have a discussion and just moderate it. That way it's not Chuck said. You've never been on Suboxone? No, no. And the, my last two treatments were completely medically unassisted. Because oh, that was Charlie Center and Cooper. Oh, Okay. Mike Mar, what's your opinion on Suboxone? I've never been on it. I don't know. It's probably, is it just like a methadone, right? Yeah, yeah. So what they're asking in that question, what is your opinion about Suboxone? What Chuck is avoiding by saying, I don't have an opinion, or I sure share that if it was a private, is are you sober or not? Do you consider somebody on Suboxone sober? Guess what? I'm going to say something that's going to blow a lot of our friends' minds. At this point, I think yes. I know that sounds crazy to a lot of my friends and what I'd said 20 years ago, but you should be able to evolve your opinion about something, right? 100%. If, you can't, if you're not allowed to change your mind with new information, then what are we? You know? Well, <laughs> and, you know, well, uh, and the and my, uh, but I always have to have an argument that makes sense to me. Might not make sense to anybody else. I'm sure we've explored that many times on this podcast. Mm, yep. Things that make sense to me make sense to no one else. But when it says no in NA, it says no mood altering substances, mind altering substances, right? Suboxone is a mind altering substance. So is nicotine. So is caffeine. Right, they're mood altering, slight okay. mood altering. It doesn't say slight mood altering; it says mood altering or or uh, mind altering. Right, but that's also teaching. That's also taking the text at letter value and not in the spirit of the the words too. I also, you know, it's like ah, oh, you, you're when, starting to share your opinion right now. Well, when so I you first, don't think you don't think nicotine is a drug. Oh, I know it's a drug and I know I'm addicted to it. And I know that when I don't have it, it affects me negatively. Um, I don't think it, uh, it affects my, um, my judgment. What I if I, I, wait a minute, wait, whoa, 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 right there. You just played into Bobby Buckskin's hands right let's there. Let's get it, Tiger. Let me tell you, if you're an alcoholic, and you choose to be sober and smoke, 
you are more you you have always been more likely to die from nicotine and tobacco than you ever were from alcohol. Boom. Mike, did you see that? Did you <laughs> see me just checkmate him? I just checkmated him. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> but <laughs> you're gonna die of lung cancer, like like DH had. I'm not, I, you know, the thing is when people get lung cancer, Gloria Scott died of lung cancer. Uh, Buddy Arnold died from a stroke. Uh, uh, DH had lung cancer. Somehow it's okay in AA to say, oh, they, they went out and they fucking died better them than me. But when somebody smokes 10 and 15 and 20 years sober and then dies of lung cancer, no, everybody says, oh, what a great AA they were. Right. Isn't it about not dying? Yeah, but the difference between right, the difference between a medicine and a poison, right, is the dose, right? The the dose of the dose of effect is I'm I'm more worried about a quality of life than I am a thing. And besides, I'm not gonna die of You'll lung see, cancer. Get, I'm gonna get uh, brain tumors or something from vaping <laughs> because we don't know what the end cause of vaping is. Uh, okay, because it hasn't been studied. Now stop that. Doesn't that sound as crazy as our fentanyl addicts on a certain level? Like, I don't know what I'm taking. I might die of it, but, you know, it's not mind altering. It's an adventure, <laughs> you know? Bobby. It's an adventure. <laughs> no, because I'm addicted. So that's where it became clear to me. I'm addicted to nicotine. I'm chewing two number fours right now. I've been chewing two number four. I always say like, uh, like seven or eight years. It was actually 2007 I switched to the gum. So Ooh, that would be 15, 15 years. Yeah. So I'm taking seven and eight. And I'm saying, like, how long have you been chewing the gum? Oh, like seven or eight years. I've been saying seven or eight years for seven or eight years. <laughs> and that's 15 years you haven't been loading your lungs with tar. Yes. And the other, all the other chemicals that, that come with the, um, the tobacco, which I, I still love the smell of tobacco. I love the way... I, I like, I don't walk away from people that are smoking. I kind of gravitate towards it just because it's a comfort smell or whatever, but I don't like the way it, I don't like the way it smells on people's clothes or an hour later when I'm talking to them, you know, it's that stale. I like fresh burn, but that's I it. Think, yeah. But I think, I think we just need to live and let live. That is the Couldn't ultimate. agree more. The when, it comes, when people say that they were talking to a sponsor which it's usually in NA. And they said this, my sponsor said, I'm not sober if I'm on Suboxone. And I said, do you think you're sober? Yeah. Well, then you need a different sponsor. You need to go to a different meeting because right. it's really, it's about you. You decide when you're no longer sober or if you've maintained that sobriety. It's well, not I, think, to- I think the shaming about Suboxone of which I was a party to, I was a Suboxone a ma- maintenance shamer. shamer. <laughs> And I think that I might have harmed people. And I'm so sorry that, you know, um, so you're on Suboxone and Bob Forrest says you're not sober. And then you just go do heroin because you're not sober. I, that has happened a few times. And, and that's fucked up to be so stuck and dogmatic and opinionated. Um, and I just noticed over a 15-year period of time or you know, 20 year period of time, I've evolved where like, yeah, I mean, it's as sober as like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Honestly, to me, it is because you know, you're going to see more and more of your peers get cancer. You're mm-hmm. young, Chuck. 
me and Mike are a little older. Like I have three friends right now. Well, one that just died and, and two that are going through chemo right now, right? In their mid sixties, early sixties to mid sixties. Right. So it's coming. It's that's coming. when my grandma, that's when it's when it took out my grandma too. So, you know, yeah. It, it, so, was- and why we can shame these young idiot kids and their Suboxone and fentanyl and all that and not turn around and shame each other about smoking when you're 55 years old. I don't well, know why that is. Bruce why can we out of smoking? Yeah. Oh yeah. God, he, he, well, he's, he scared me out of smoking. I, I thought he said something <laughs> like, when, when are you going to grow up? <laughs> well, you, well, don't you that, know what it is? But, but it was over a two year period of time. One of the things he said with your, this is before Harboni with your hepatitis C and how you smoke, you're not going to see 72. He told me that point blank. And I was like, yeah, I am. Fuck you. You know, but inside like at (laughs) night. So at work, I would say, fuck you. Fuck you. And one of the nurses, one of the nurses, a lot of nurses smoke. And one of the nurses I smoke with would be like, yeah, Drew just says shit. He doesn't know. Blah, blah, blah. And we're out there smoking. We're out there smoking. Like, yeah, fuck Drew. He doesn't. But when I got home, and that's when I lived in South Pasadena, kind of by myself. And I got home and I was laying in bed. I was like, holy shit, I'm going to die in the next 17 years. Like, Mm. that's fucked up. And so I don't know, you know, quality of life and all that kind of stuff. These kids, even if they're sober, they don't have much quality of life. I got to defend the millennials. Oh, my God. Is this a New Year's resolution? Well, I don't know. You know, Uh, they're doing a good job defending themselves. The quality of their life, though, is so shit, really is, whether they're sober or not. It's like, you know, like they don't, like right now I have a hot water heater problem, right? And you can either try to fix it or you can really fix it or you can ignore it, right? Millennials Mm -hmm. have to ignore it because they don't have the money to even kind of fix it. There's no, (laughs) if you live in, if you live in any metropolitan area in America, and you're 30 years old, you can't afford to be alive. <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially if you're paying back school loans. If you're paying back that. school loans and trying to pay rent and trying to go out and trying to go to Coachella and shit, you are not making it. <laughs> yeah, that's that was that's what I heard the other day that minimum wage is a gateway drug. Because <laughs> if you make minimum wage, you, <laughs> you gotta turn it you off. Might, you might as well be on drugs. So so I, I do. Maybe it's doing these groups with these kids that are high functioning. I like them. I like these kids. I didn't like so many kids for so long. They're just such entitled. You know what? Maybe the kids that I base my opinion on millennials on. Hey, Heidi Mo, come on in. The 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 thing I base my opinion on was those treating rehab like an American Express card kids. Because they that, were that was the worst, uh, worst, most entitled, unbelievable, demanding, argumentative, demanding, yeah. right? It, right. Uh, when, when this one kid, I'll never forget, it was right in the beginning of the gold rush, right? And, and for those at home don't know, there was, you know, once the Parity Act kicked in, kicked in and, and, and insurances tried to covering treatment, there was this gold rush of treatment. What are you doing? Opening presents? No, no, no. Idris. No, no. 
Look at Idris is over by the tree opening presents. <laughs> Can you see him? Smarter That's not even us. your present. That's not your present. Oh, there's one that's yours. Look at he's right over there. He's only one in one year and nine months, and he knows like sneak over with the Christmas tree and open a present. Baby. Yeah, but what do you want from me? <laughs> where is Mama right now? Where is Sydney? Mm -hmm. Oh, where are they? Because I'm doing a podcast. Okay, so so. Uh, I think I might have gotten warped about a whole generation of kids because I met the worst of the worst, the most yeah. entitled. You know, I had a kid. Here, oh, I was going to tell the story. So we had the old Philip, big Phillips, it was called. I think Mike was there one time. Remember the house that had the, the horse stable in front, Mike? The aloe house? Um, no. It had a big horse that? corral. So mm. it burned down during the Malibu fires. But I'm standing there and this kid's like telling everybody to fuck off and fuck you. And he's already called Cliffside, which is over two blocks and up like six blocks. Now he's going to go to Cliffside because they promised him a private room and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm standing there and I go, dude, like, <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know about this. Like you're just going from one rehab in the same neighborhood. You're just transferring over to the other neighborhood. You're sober. Yep. He, he was sober like, like three weeks. And I was like, how do you think your insurance is going to pay them? They're not going to. And so he's like, fuck you. All you care about is money. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, my God. How am I interfacing with people like this? Right? Mm -hmm. So he then, then I'm leaving. I'm done. It's like 630. And he's still standing there waiting to get his stuff, his meds or whatever. And he goes, hey, Bob. And he's all nice and different to me now than he was like an hour and a half before. And I go, yeah, what? And he goes, could you give me a ride to over to Cliffside? Had <laughs> <laughs> a boy. There you is go. That, is that amazing? And did you I did mean, you say how much money? Because I'm all about that. I'm all about, yeah, I'm all about that money. I'm gonna have to get some <laughs> Uber fee or something. Can you imagine the gall of somebody like that? Like I, I had a lot of gall back in the day. I would have hid behind the 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 van as Bob as I as Bob was walking out. Like I wouldn't want another confrontation with him. I already told him he's a fucking asshole and all he cares about is money. So do I really now I'm just gonna switch gears an hour and a half later and say, hey Bob, can you give me a ride over to Cliffside? Yeah. With no shame. <laughs> no shame. You should have told him to just pack his bags and start walking. I know, but the you know it's hard to get their meds. Chuck, why is that? Why is it so hard to get their meds for them to leave? Um, because of the way we have to keep everything and what the doctors will allow. Sometimes Do the, the doctors, doctors have to write an order before the doctors, they can leave. The doctors, we got to get in touch with medical. Medical will get a hold of the doctor and say, this is how they're leaving. This is, this is why they're leaving. This is where they're going or not going. And then they'll be given none, a three days supply or all of them, depending on. And then, you know, you know what we make everybody that works in the house do. They got to count everything again. And, and and make sure Mike, that this is like are you listening this is insanity this is a fucking rehab center and it's acting like like uh you know um, 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 a fucking fancy hospital it's like in right. a house the meds are in a closet locked inside a file <laughs> cabinet <laughs> i'm and like then, give me 
Give me his fucking meds and let him get on his way. But I, you know, I wasn't in charge. So anyways, <laughs> I think I had a warped opinion because I really, right when I started, had Beachwood and I was dealing with all those crazy kids from Bel Air Recovery and all that fucking nonsense. Mm-hmm. I, I just got so disillusioned. Then all the kids started dying and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. So I kind of took a back seat. I still did some groups, but I wasn't case managing i wasn't dealing with clients like i was up until then and then covid hit and now i'm back and it's a completely different population it really is well look at how many places aren't in existence anymore and the kids aren't getting paid as often i know that to be true because we used to lose clients weekly over brokering going to places in south county where they're getting paid to go Right. Right. That that whole thing is off the table. So it's like even the even like I, I currently have a returning client who was who was there when things were nutty and he was one of those guys that would jump around from place to place to get paid. <laughs> and uh he how uh, much would they get? Like fifteen hundred bucks? I've heard anywhere from fifteen to four thousand. Four thousand bucks to go to rehab? That's just insane. Anyways. Right. It's exciting. It's fun. I don't know what the New Year's going to bring, but um, I like. I liked last night. I I liked like it just was cool. So, but I have a problem, and I need. I think just Chuck's advice. I don't know if if Mike's kids listen to the podcast, but my kids now listen to this podcast. Elijah texted me about the Christmas crack pick and save thing. Uh-huh. Very positive. <laughs> He's very positive. He was very positive about it. He's sober over a year now, but uh makes me nervous that my kids are listening. Elvis is listening to this. Elijah's listening to this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's, 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 I don't, or, I don't just, like it. Just, just, just people in general, when people tell me they listen, it's just like, Oh, that's kind of, it's a little un- because but we your do kids, but you're talking. Three- we're talking about our kids. I'm talking so, about my kids, and they're no, yeah. and now they're listening. So, the Bob, one, what did Elijah? What did Elijah say about the Pickwick? He loves the podcast, which makes me think is he is really but sober. I like he, it. He, he like said he had positive reactions. Yeah, here's what he said. He said it was a great Christmas for him at getting. Those- yeah, yeah. Wait till you hear this, so everybody remembers that story. So he get he gets. Um, where is it? Um, listening to the new episode about that Christmas and laughing my ass off. I have no memory of it of it all except for I think pink pick and save. LOL, LOL. Tell Mike to chill out. I'm gonna go ahead and say it was a <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, this is great. He goes, tell Mike to chill out. I'm going to go ahead and say it was a great Christmas because I got to spend it with you and it doesn't matter what we were doing. Oh, that's not. That's great. Right? got to make you feel good. So, see, I don't owe him fucking anything. Mike, (laughs) you know what? That's a sober person's response. If he was living and wanted money, he'd go, remember that Christmas? (laughs) You know, know it would be a different story. But it's nice to have kids that are sober and have their heads in the game. And especially once they start growing up a little, they appreciate what you did. I mean, I just, I got a text from my... It's weird you did. I I got a text from my middle guy 
uh, who's living the out one the that lived with me, the one that yeah, lived with me, with Sash. Yeah. And and he goes, he goes, man, I've been living on peanut butter and honey tortillas because that's what I used to eat every day when I was broke for six months, nine months when I was it trying works. to get. And and he goes, I've been living on them. And he goes, I appreciate everything you did just that much more. I don't know how you did it. And I said the same way you are, man, one day at a time. But that's also the same kid that when he's in a bad, you know what I mean? So it's like, I love it when there's just, I don't really need to be appreciated as much as I wanted to know. It's, it wasn't bad for them. Yeah. You know? I, don't, I just, I don't know. I just think you get what you get and you don't get upset. I, there was this, this kid Tate that went to preschool with, um, with Elvis and his mom used to always say that you get what you get, she, you know, cause they'd fight and cry and whatever. And she say, you get what you get and you don't get upset. And I just, I started adopting that for myself. And then I want other people to like, listen, you just, that's what happened. It, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting about this tummy gazing, uh, poor me. It just never ends. How do you resolve anything? If everything else is somebody else's fault. You can't ever step into real sobriety and real adulthood. You can't step into adulthood if you're always blaming every your childhood on everything that you do now. Right. The the victim mindset. You know, and there are people that horrible things have been done to, and life isn't fair and it's not always good. But if you allow that to make you a victim for the rest of your life, there's no solution in being a victim. It, there, and we're making victims. The rehab industry is making victims out of kids. The society is making victims out of kids. And it's just like a bad mentality to have. Because in, in the end, nobody gives a fuck. That's what I tell my kids. Like, yeah, they'll act like they give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. They're just filling your head with a bunch of self-pity and victimization. They're not going to, you know, it, it's just like, it's a weird it's a weird dichotomy where we're trying to help people empower themselves. And I think we, the pendulum swung too much to what caused it. You know mm. what I mean? And the insurance industry certainly suggested, you know, you need licensed professionals talking about what caused it, you know, because the licensed professionals rarely know anything about transcending and overcoming and turning your life around. They just know about belly button gazing and t- talking about your childhood. You know, I'm talking about MFT social workers, uh, you know, some social work. I prefer social workers to MFTs for sure. Like, yeah, that's a different animal. Just imagine you're going to, you're going to, you're coming out of school, like, cause mostly uh, all the therapists I know already had like a degree in something, right? Whether it was journalism or something. And they decide now at 26 or 27 or 28 that they found a passion. They want to help people. You know how many times I've been told that, that, that somebody's in school, going to become a psychologist, going to become a MFT, going to become a social worker because they want to help people. And I say, I don't think that's the best idea, best way of getting into this. Because it doesn't, <laughs> I'm telling you, I tell people because you're, you're setting yourself up for being really disappointed because it doesn't feel like you're helping people when you're doing it. It really doesn't. With I, all the I, paperwork and all the bullshit, it really well, doesn't feel like you're helping people. You're, you're, you know, when you're talking about in a, um, in a rehab setting, I mean, really, or mental you, health, you, or mental health. But, but, but I mean, yeah, but I mean, when, 
the people that choose to go to see an AMFT or MFT or whatever uh, outside because they just want to sort some things out, things are going a little wacky and they want they want uh, to have another set of eyes on it. I think that's great. But in the where we are, what we do, people are so busy and still so full of shit. How honest are you in the first 30, 60, 90 days of being sober? You know, right. and what good is it doing and, and what it well, does? I don't know. I'll even challenge that. I don't know that I knew what the truth was. So how could I report it to a therapist? There you go. I'm, I'm telling you, I don't think I really knew what the truth was. I don't know that I know the whole truth about myself now, but I do know much more of the truth. And it was over years and years period of time, that layer of the onion that where you realize like, you know, and it's been ebbs and flows. I'm not as bad as I thought I was. I've had that experience. I'm not as, as smart as I think I am. I'm not as kind as I project or portray myself. I'm selfish and self-seeking, even when I seem giving and selfless, right? Those are all things that that's an evolution. That's all. It takes a long period of time. You're not going to be able to do that when you're, <laughs> when you're six months sober, you're just not going to be able to. So just do the basics, stay sober, try to don't, don't, you know, don't allow yourself to get too bummed out. Don't allow yourself to become overwhelmed with anxiety. You know, I see Sid getting a little anxious. She's anxious about her cat going outside and, 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 you know, we sat down and talked with her like, what, what is this whole freak out if the front door opens, your cat's going to run away. And she goes, well, the bunnies ran away. Gilda ran away. Zoe ran away. So now I've gotten myself into this pickle where I just said they ran away instead of oh. they got eaten by a coyote. <laughs> 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 okay. So what do I do now, Chuck? What do I do? <laughs> if the cat runs away, it's because it found a better place. <laughs> <laughs> it was he was an it was a comfort animal for another animal. <laughs> you yeah. know, our 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 cat. It, we we tried keeping him in, but we can't. And it's one of those things where if he does, if he's not home by like two or three in the morning because we have a cat door for him, you know, we, I expect him to come in. Sometimes he's here with us when we go to bed, but then he'll take off and go out exploring. And neighbors told me he was fighting a couple coyotes or at least holding them off. So it's just a matter Whoa. of time. It's just a matter of time before coyotes he, in downtown Huntington Beach. In Fountain Valley, straight, yeah, absolutely. Mile Square Park is full of them, and they come in from the river trail too. So, yeah, but I see them running through the neighborhood in the mornings sometimes too. And there's not, there's no pest control. There's no like control of them. There's oh, nobody. Dude, there, there's there's a crazy um, Facebook page for people to live in this particular tract because it's a large tract. And they always post coyote sightings and where they were, and like it does any good. They don't stay in one place for very long. And you know that's but that they real, love the coyotes or they want no, them gone. That 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 be careful, stay inside, lock your doors, hide oh, your small that. pets. No, no, absolutely not. You know, and it's like uh when we got this cat, he was I've never he was harmed a coyote. I've I've never I mean we got coyotes and bobcats and bears. I've never been scared of the bears. I've been cautious around the bears. Bobcats are weird, like they look like they could just kill you, but they really don't do anything. 
They're, and they also not scared of you. I told you I tried to spray the hose on one of them to get it out from under the RV. It wouldn't even leave. It's just like, it's hot. That feels good. Keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but the coyotes, I can't stand. So, so there's a thing that somebody gave me these, um, I guess it's a smell that they don't like. There's these things, they look like a bar of soap. And I put two of them down behind the RV so they can't run through our property. And I got two of them down in the gully. And so they don't, they run along the road, but they don't ever come here. But now I think I got to put them up behind the house because I think that's where they're getting the bunnies. And it's funny. Bunnies. It's funny you would say that because they run along our, our roads too. They do a, they do a track. They'll do a couple or three at a time. That's how I see them. And they're not, they're not afraid. I, I, I've said, I've tried to get bug to see them so that it's not a fear because you know, every once in a while, someone says, oh, they attack people and it scares them. And I say, I just want you to know this is not something, this, this is something that if it, if it's near you, if it's by you, you kick, you hit, you do what you got to do to get away. If, if it does, but they're not likely to do that, but they, they'll stare you down. They, they, they know their worth. Yeah. They're it's weird. They're coming yeah, out. They're, they're there's too many, there's too many of them. So, so animal controls doing nothing about them. They just let them multiply and. You know, like, I, I don't, I don't know what is being done. If anything, I just know that I'm not one of the coyote siding people who's made that. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not well, that I'm big not of a saying, deal to me. I'm not saying kill them all. I'm there's not saying possums, kill them all. I'm there's saying, raccoons. I'm saying there's, yeah, but there's not as many as when they were in full you understand they're scavengers right. they eat whatever's dead on the ground they eat whatever they can catch there's not that much to catch this is los yeah. angeles yeah at, at, at miles <laughs> square there was a spot you know you know miles square now um mike because you go over there for the um the sweet and tender shows but by the archery range there's a big open space and um people used to, i used to go there and i'd find a bunch of like cooked chicken people were feeding the coyotes Oh, and it was just like it, you know, maybe maybe not feed them, but you know, it's just like I don't, I I, I guess they would be a problem if you were a. Uh, I think it's if, nice if you were Bob to get those bunnies and put them out there and feed those coyotes. I think it's enough. Oh, <laughs> we don't know if that. I don't think coyotes <laughs> could get down in. I don't think it was coyote. I think it was bobcat. But but because bobcats can jump. Bobcats can jump like eight feet up. They can jump. I've seen them jump. They fucking haul ass and we got to talk to Martin. He's the one always yeah, yeah, tracking the animals. Track the animals. So it's Christmas. I'm. You know what I? I'm looking forward to taking everything down and putting it back in the garage. Right, and that is one of my. <laughs> as I get older, that is one of my favorite things. <laughs> Because we have what's called a slow creep, right? So we, because we have like all of Chrissy's family's old stuff and her stuff and my stuff. And and so the, the garage is filled. There's like a whole corner, like there's just tons of shit. And slowly through the thing between Thanksgiving and now, the house just becomes filled with everything. 
We've got every little dancing. We've got a Hawaiian <laughs> hula dancing. We've got a hula dancing Santa that sings up and up and you know, da 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 Every fucking button toy. We've got trains. We've got, we've got three, four fake Christmas trees. One real Christmas tree. We got lights everywhere. We got fucking Jack Skellington everywhere. It's just madness. I like that Jack Skellington's fallen into Christmas. (laughs) I love. Oh yeah, he's Christmas (laughs) all the way. Yep. So we've got, and we've got blow up things going. I got Jack Skellington out here in front of the RV, the Jack Skellington train with zero. And then we've got (laughs) some princess thing. I don't even know what that is. And then we've got Jack Skellington and we've got Santa and we've got Scooby-Doo with a Christmas hat, all the blow ups through the yard. (laughs) We've got fucking everything. And I just, and it wasn't like this in the beginning. Like we put up the trees in the living room. Then Sid said she wanted a tree in her room. So then we bought a, a 1999 rainbow fake Christmas tree with lights built in at, um, at, at I forget what, like the 99 cent store. She loves it. And then we got a real tree and it's just madness. It's, so I, I'm really, so we have a countdown clock. It's four days until Christmas, right? Uh-huh. And I'm saying it's five days till we put all this shit back in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I got I got to feel you a little bit. I, our place is is two floors, but both floors are really you. small. This I is this is this is my little room. This is my my little music room. But the it's small enough. Our house is small enough that I my mom has an old rocker, an old goosehead rocker. That's like a, it's covered in fabric, but it's just something that's been in the family for like a hundred plus years or whatever. And I told her I'd take it, but I can't take it until we get rid of the tree because we just don't have a place. So we've got to economize. Well, it's just madness. Chuck, uh, Mike, have you got all your Christmas stuff up? I do. And I enjoy it. I leave it up until New Year's at least. Is it a ton of stuff? Here's what happens. Like as the kids grow up and stuff, you put up less stuff, right? So when they were young, like yours are young, I had the train, I had the tree, I had all that stuff and everything. Uh, you know, I enjoyed it because it goes kind of quick, you know, and then they don't want it. They don't care about it anymore. Yeah. Elvis doesn't really care. Elvis said like, so enjoy it while it, you can. I, I don't know if it's from a, a Lucy thing. He, he, um, he said, dad, you don't really need to get me anything. And this is pretty cool. <laughs> he goes, but I really want to get my friend a new controller, and I want to get the uh, his friend this this girl. Perfect. That's uh, the spirit uh, of giving. Yeah. Yeah, and he wanted that. Then I think he thought twice about it and said, "Are you still getting me something?" And I was like, well, "I already got. <laughs> I already got you stuff." <laughs> I sort of said right. that, but I didn't mean it, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you thought, because you know you're not going to not give him anything, but um, but he he really was focused on his three friends. We got this one kid, a bunch of Dragon Ball stuff, and then we got the controller for the Sony PlayStation, and then we got an autograph Red Hot Chili Pepper guitar, 
which didn't cost me anything, by the way. That was a good, that was a good present. Wow. You must yeah. know people. They're just I laying around it. in Anthony's garage or something. No, in Chris Warren's oh. van. <laughs> right on. And and so, but I but but there is it is weird because you got to measure each kid, Mike. You had them about the same age. So so I just is two, Sydney is six, Elvis is twelve. Sydney, I just got a ton of shit. Like half the stuff under the tree is for I just. It's all cheap shit. It's like you know, bluey, bluey characters that cost four ninety nine. But mm-hmm. and then Sid's got some good amount, and then Elvis has only got like three things. So then I'm thinking he's gonna feel like he's got to sit around and watch them open the presents. So I I did this thing last time and it and it didn't work so good, but. The youngest person opens all their presents. What do you think of that procedure? Because it didn't go over well last year at uh, all. I think one at a time, taking turns. Yeah, but then Elvis is out for like nine turns. <laughs> so you go back and forth with the little ones. No, and just say, hey, what? Hey, you know what? You, you say, you know what? Um, do you, if you've explained to him that your gifts, you know that that the money that's spent is equal because we love all you equal, but it goes yeah, a lot yeah. further with junk than it does. I mean, cause I remember my dad telling me that he goes, you know, it, we can, I, I wanted a Kenwood receiver and I wanted a BIC turntable. And he goes, listen, we'll do the receiver, just the Kenwood receiver for Christmas, but you're not going to get speakers or the turntable. You're going to have to, get these things one at a time and that's going to be all you get. And I made that decision of going, that's great. I was happy. I found some old speakers that a friend had and, and hooked it up, you know, and I, I, I knew my little brother and sister were going to get more, but it was okay. But you know what I did was I made sure they all had the same amount of gifts. It didn't matter how big they were. Like if, even if it was just a little ch- hot chocolate kit or something, I'd wrap it. And then they would all have a turn, even if one of the gifts was big. And then we would get to the bigger ones. And I'd say, open that one, those bigger ones. Hmm. You know, kind of so you're up. saying, go and get Elvis like a bunch of hot chocolate? <laughs> yeah, well, go, get him, go get him some small gifts, some small some gifts. Socks, like, you know, socks, just anything. Hot chocolate. Yeah, just so he has something. Socks individually wrapped. Has something. Yeah. I'm also, he loves movies. Uh, I'm also getting him a year pass to the regional movie theater. Any movie, anytime. Have you seen this Ooh. thing? You can go to any movie, anytime. It's crazy for twenty for twenty three ninety nine a month. I'm paying. No way. Does he yeah, still play Nintendo or or um, yeah Xbox. Or Xbox? So Xbox. get him a bunch of Xbox things and wrap them up and just games, whatever he got in the. Those are expensive. Those are like forty bucks. Well, you can get a bunch of the ones that are cheaper and stuff, and he might just throw them away. <laughs> but you know, at least he's got something open. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a hit or miss. Sometimes they you, got one that they keep forever. You know, you, you can put empty boxes with a note in that says "smile" and say "thank you," and then just keep moving. So we have no, some. Yeah. Oh, well, that's <laughs> a good cool. idea because I'm because I'm putting the membership thing in a card. I could get more cards and like have each card have five bucks till it adds up to like 40 bucks or something. Yeah, that's that's the thing to do. So the one at a time, I what just got 99 sit- cent store and the pickwick and stuff. Get get just um what's a pickwick kind of well pick and save is what he's thinking. Pick and save changed to 
Big Lots. Big Lots used to be called Pick and Save. Oh, okay. We'll go to Big Lots and get a bunch of yeah. Big Lots has five dollar sections and you know little electronic stuff and whatever. You know, it's so much easier. Like CDs, like nobody has CDs. They just have their phone and Spotify. Yeah. They don't have. They don't have stereos. They don't have you know record players. They don't have anything. They don't even care. I we have an extra record player. I said, obviously, you want to have a record player in your room, and he said, why? And I was like, because you might want to play records in your room. And he goes, I can just play them in the office. And I was like, yeah, but I, I'm in, that's my office. That's my office. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, I got to check again. I, I did this thing where I moved the one turntable to another part of the house because I just kept pulling the thing off the turntable. So I got this old cheaper one, this uh, Denon Denon it is with, oh, the, yeah. with a plastic top. It's, it's called a Denon. Denon? Yeah. <laughs> well, Denon, well, Denon. Well, Dijon mustard, Denon turntable. So, so, but this thing has this cool, I got this cool kind of punk rock. See this cover? Can you see yeah, this? That's cool. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Well, I just comes over and pushes the needle on it and you can't see uh, that yeah. the turntable's on for days on end. <laughs> so this isn't working either. <laughs> that thing just turned on. Maybe you could raise it up. Yeah, somebody asked me what I wanted, a record. And they said, what? And I said, Beatles, put your cover. And they were like, oh, yeah. what's yeah, it's only that? I said, yeah, it's only one record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and Sid got, here's an interesting thing. Sid wanted to get her friend who she doesn't, she's not really that close with, but she likes this kid and she's on her soccer team. She wanted to get her a present. And then I said, you know, she has two like best friends. I said, well, what about so-and-so and so-and-so? And she said, oh, no, I think they're fine. I was like, whoa, oh, this is the new, the new world. Can you, can you just get one kid at school a present? I, I guess you can. Question. I got a question. Who's instilling this giving spirit of Christmas and stuff? I mean, is it you? Is it Chrissy? Is it? Something that you guys, yeah, I mean, Chrissy doesn't really like, care. Never really got that. <laughs> Bob's Chrissy been like again. that. Bob's been like that. Bob did that with uh, with Bug when Bug and Elvis were little and we were up at the Beechwood house. And um, Elvis had a couple Pee Wee Herman dolls. Oh, no, they were, um, what was it? It was maybe it was, it wasn't Pee Wee. You had the big Pee Wee, but it was, uh, it was Beatles, Little Simpsons. It was oh, Little Simpsons. Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Little Simpsons. And and you said, oh, you can you can give that to him, Elvis. You have two. He has none. And you he gave yeah. it to him. And I was just like, that is that was like yeah. I, I I like well, Bob not good, because man. we got well, something, good. but because I'll I saw, good about saw my, who he is. Uh, let me talk good about my wife for one second. I know she doesn't listen to this podcast. So <laughs> and we've been, you know, it's tense around here at Christmas. It's fucking tense. Uh we've been buttonheads a, a lot. She does not give a fuck about it any kind of material things at all yeah. like I, mm -hmm. I like ridiculous you know like i i don't know i never and and so that she just built on my philosophy of kids who have everything um can be more giving than than kids that are raised having hardly nothing and having to earn things and all this because you earn things and that's yours and then you don't give it away and an abundance should bring you know giving that's what that's what i think and that's what 
And this goes all the way up the chain to Bill Gates saying, you know, I'm pledging to give all my money away before I die. That, that the people like us that are so fortunate, I mean, I, I'm so fortunate and my kids are so fortunate, they should give their shit to other kids who, do, who don't have things. They should. And every parent in America who's growing up in this abundance should be teaching their children, like to the to the kids that don't have as much, like give them a soccer ball, like we, you know, like give them give them whatever. It's not that big of a deal, but somehow there's this other Calvinistic. You have to earn it, and you have to be good. And see, Elvis is being torn between two households like that. We have to earn things, and then they're yours, and then you wouldn't be stupid enough to give something away that you earned. You know what I mean? Okay. And then here we're just giving everything or whatever. Like I, I don't know. I just see cool shit and I buy it. Like <laughs> I don't know. And not 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 like expensive, not expensive shit. Like I had to go get a rug because I just threw up milk and I can't get it out of the carpeting. So you know what Bobby Buckskin does. Put some of that smelly stuff on the carpeting. What is that stuff that makes your carpet smell good? For breeze. Leave it for two days. Vacuum that shit. Rub it. And then get a rug and cover up that white stain in your rug. <laughs> That's you my... Go. It there works. It fucking works. So I was getting a rug and I walked past this thing. And they had all these... Uh, coca melon things on sale like you know at target like 70 percent off or whatever so i just bought one and then brought it home and it's sitting on the counter to get wrapped as a present it was like 7.69 usually 27 dollars or something like you know i just always do that i don't know that's cool so it doesn't it's, matter. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away now. What I got, you got to give it to your mama. What you got, you got to give it, put it in you. Is that what that like, is? <laughs> Christmas? Is that a Christmas song? <laughs> it's a sobriety song and nobody knows it. Not even the guy that wrote it. <laughs> he heard it somewhere. <laughs> That's called being inspired by your surroundings. No, we were talking. I'm not, I don't want to. He hates when I talk about it, but we were talking about how it's really hard to write a recovery song because somebody had gotten sober and wrote a recovery song. We were both just rolling our eyes like, oh my God. Oh my God. Sometimes I'm sober and I get up in the morning and I feel good or whatever. Uh, you know, yeah. the sobriety songs, right? Yep. Sure. And I said, well, you wrote the greatest sobriety song ever. And he's like, what song is that? And I was like, give it away, give it away now. You got to give it away to keep it. And he just had this look on his face like, oh my fucking God, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. Right? Because it becomes so second nature to you. Like, you know, I don't know. Right. It's weird. We do, we do have a jargon. There we had a jargon. That's a line in our jargon. Yeah. You got to give it away to keep it. The, the, to keep it never really, I don't know. That always seemed weird to me. You got to give it away to keep it. Have you heard that? Is that what they say at the Lano clubs yeah. all around the yeah, it, Orange it's County? One, it's one of the paradoxes. You got to surrender to win. You got to give it away to keep it. And oh, let's do else. all. Let's do all those. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you got to <laughs> surrender to win. And like when you're fucking kicking dope, like you, you just look at the people, like what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> surrender to win. 
Yeah. Stick with the winners. How about stick with the winners? But, but don't, don't judge. judge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mike, don't, Mike yeah. give us a give us give us a contradictory <laughs> one. You gotta give it away to keep it. That sounds selfish. Oh my god, uh, I never thought of that. That's funny. You, you gotta yeah, you gotta yeah, stick with the winners, yeah. but don't be judgmental. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to stick with the losers, of course. I'm going to. Yeah, but it just. But, it just <laughs> but I like to stick with the losers today. Yeah. Oh, so keep trying, man. What's another one? What's there. another contradiction? Uh, thing? We suffer to get well. Um, we die to live. Oh, uh, there, yeah. yeah. Some of us have to die so some of us can live. Uh, really? That's, really? That's, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not true either. No more people have to die. In order no, for us there to, should be to, no. Yeah, for you to realize that you shouldn't drink yourself to death, you don't need other people dying. Um, let me tell you, Chuck. Back when I was uh, unenlightened, which was you know <laughs> yesterday, but way back when I was in the darkness of of Bobby Buckskin narcissism, let's say. A guy, a friend, an acquaintance, not even a guy I knew, a guy I knew died. And it was this, I was like, was, I was probably two years sober. And there was this meeting, it used to be a Melrose near Sweetser, Beverly near Sweetser in this back alley. And this guy talked about the guy who died and how, um, you know, some of us, some of us have to die so 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 some of us can live, right? That's one of the first times I ever heard it, and I just thought it was so inappropriate to talk about a guy that just died two days ago and then mm. like shit on him like that. So I I told the guy after the meeting, I went to dinner with him and a bunch of other people, and I said, you know, that thing he said, I know a lot of people say it. It's fucking stupid. Just think about it. And I said his name, right? And he goes, what? And I go, you're just repeating something that other people said. Like, yeah. think about what you're saying, that you're kind of glad that so-and-so's dead because it's going to help somebody else not die. It's just asinine. It's just stupid. And he goes, you know, that's a tradition. I said, it's not a tradition. It's 12 <laughs> traditions. Like, I knew more about AA than this guy was like eight years sober. And so... He goes, well, I don't know what your problem is. Like, you know, you're the only one that seems to have a problem with it. And I said, I, and I don't, we were getting into it, Chuck. You understand? It was a little heated. You yeah, understand? you can get that way what because I'm you're about challenging to say, What I'm about to say to him is pretty shocking if you think I'm a good guy. So for you, for those at home that don't think I'm a good guy, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Bob would say that. I said, <laughs> when you die, I will say that about you. How about that? <laughs> he had to die so we can live. <laughs> he, he what what is he? That would be great like, on a gravestone, right? <laughs> what? What? I died so you could live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting later nerds on mine. Later nerds. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be well. Uh, uh, one one of the talk show hosts had, I think Jack Parr, somebody had, we'll be back after this commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, yeah, you, no. know, you know, to, uh, me and uh, Rob Graves used to go to, when we'd go to uh, New Orleans, we'd go down to the graveyards and just walk around and read the tombstones because they were so damn funny. Party's over. <laughs> Stuff like the party's that. over. Did you go to the, the witch's uh, grave? 
I went there when a couple of places. Yeah. No, but the uh, Levee, whatever her name is, uh, the Anne woman. Rice. Anne Rice. No, 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 no. The famous witch of New Orleans. Oh, I got the, yeah, the Voodoo Queen. Yeah, the Voodoo Queen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got her. I got her. Uh, her Voodoo stuff right here somewhere. Yeah. What? Um, Oh yeah, yeah I, got, I had a horse's I, tooth that I wore around my uh, around my neck forever. But yeah, I some, might have took it off. I was gonna, you know, I, everything would go. Well, I know what I got. <laughs> I got I got the thing that looks like the Gun Club album cover, the back of the album cover. It's of her. Where the hell is that thing? Anyways, through his for house. those of you playing along at home, that. Bobby's walking through. I can't find it. He's everywhere. <laughs> There's shit everywhere in this house. He has a confused look. He's, just he's not wearing his glasses. Room. His 10 room palatial mansion. <laughs> look at this public image, the original album. Clashing. <laughs> Class. Hey, Bob, you have that tin. You have that tin public image forty-five set, right? Yeah, I have it right. I I have it. Right That's such a great collector's item. Sleeve bite that bought that for me in Santa Barbara at a rare collector's record store. Oh. It was a, that was a that was a gift of sobriety. He was like amazed. I was like a year or two sober. He was like amazed that oh, I'd stayed really sober. Sweet, man, that's really sweet. And he goes, you don't have one of these? And I was like, I don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> got key I got keychains and no keys. Yeah, I got, I got keys. I got, I got 180 days. I got 180 days. <laughs> you know, I was so addicted to chips that uh, I wasn't going to N.A., but I went back to N.A. to get that 18-month chip. Chuck, I did. Uh, I wanted that 18 months. Let's month get honest chip. here. Let's get honest here. How many of your friends did you go over to their house and steal their CDs and steal? <laughs> like, Not as many as everybody thinks because nobody had any, a lot of them. But definitely. Well, if I'd have been your friend, I would have blamed you for it and I would have taken them myself. So once once yeah, you admit no, to doing yeah, something like yeah. that, everybody's going to blame you. Yeah, yeah no. I, like I was mostly, yeah, like. I would steal from bars because they had a lot of like I'd steal from Club Lingerie. Brendan had whole boxes of them up there in the DJ booth. I would steal from. <laughs> they got, steal they got from, a bunch. They don't need these. <laughs> they don't even know they have them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is it stealing if they didn't know they had it to begin with? Yeah. I think. Well, not. did I tell you my friend Eddie that, uh, that owned Jack Sugar Shack? So I'm sitting there and he was always good, like for a hundred bucks, if I could find him during the day or he was there. So I go in there and, um, it, when it was on vine and I go in, it's like two in the afternoon, he's there. And, um, the guy's changing over the CD jukebox and I see these piles of CDs on one of the tables. <laughs> right. And Eddie, like, I go, Eddie, can you, can you just give me like a hundred bucks for until next time we play? And he goes, I've already given you. $200. And, um, and I don't, is your band even together? And I was like, well, I could throw something together. <laughs> <laughs> Not what we're looking for. Bob. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I don't have any money right now. He's this weird guy from San Francisco. And I go, you, you own this bar and you don't have any money. And he, and he gave me, I think $20. And as I was walking out, I just scooped up. Cause then he was behind the bar or whatever. I just scooped up and took like, the whole stack of CDs that were on this table it was probably 30 CDs. Had, yeah, yeah. And I make up for that 20. Sure. And he could only see my back. So I was walking, holding them on my tummy. Right. 
yeah. with my, you know, I got out the doors and I was so happy. I got in the car and I went down to Renee's record. Uh, the one that was on uh, Highland near Santa Monica Boulevard. Is that Renee's records? I don't know. <laughs> right. Sure. Any, anyways, <laughs> I go there and I put them up on the counter and the guy just starts taking them down and putting them down under the counter. I go, well, yeah. dude, what are you doing? And he just takes them all off the counter and puts them down under like he's already bought them. He didn't price them, Chuck. Yeah, he did right. not do the thing where this is worth five, this is worth yeah. four, this is worth three, this is worth nothing. Okay. He didn't do that thing that they do with the CDs back in the 80s okay. and 90s. Right. I go, what the? F what are you doing, dude? And he goes, Eddie's called here and said, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going to go give them back to Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to come by and pick up his shoes. And then years later, I helped Eddie get sober. And this is the funniest thing. So I had never talked to him about that. I just, you know who I was mad at? The Renee's records guy, the Aaron's records guy. That's what it was. Oh, Aaron's records. His fault. It was, that was just, that wasn't his business. They're just fucking CDs. Half the CDs you buy are stolen, you fucking asshole. So I was always Most. mad at that guy. <laughs> and every time I came in, I just, I would look from outside to see he wasn't the buyer. If he was, and I would go to like some other record store. I just hated this guy, right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. he didn't have to do that. He could have fucking looked out for a motherfucker like that was terrible what he did act like the atm that i see you at <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so years later eddie uh needs to get sober and he lived at beachwood with me eddie did and so we're sitting there one night and i go remember when the stack of cds and and you called aaron's and he goes yeah and I go, how did you know I was going to go to Aaron's? He goes, I didn't. I called all four record stores. <laughs> I called them all. He goes, I gave you $25, Bob, and you had to go and steal my CDs. And I go, I asked for 100 You can't. When somebody asks you for 100 you got to get 50 at least. And don't you, you know, understand? Are you, yeah. you going to get your shit stolen? Come on now. <laughs> that's funny he just, he just passed away a year ago from cancer oh yeah that's, and, that's um, what got terry hall too it was pancreatic cancer is terry hall from from specials specials yeah 63 oh you're kidding no out and done uh, yeah, you texted me something. I texted you somebody who died, and you said Terry Hall. And I, that's not Terry Hall that I sent you. Who was it that I sent you? Died. There's a lot of people dying. It was some. Um, they have to stop doing this. Coach. Yeah, I, I guess Noodle said you know Father Terry. Oh yeah, my God! I told Jared, my partner in Malibu, about Father Terry today. Father Terry helped me so much. I mean, you want to talk in the purest positive thing about AA is Father Terry. This guy was a Catholic priest, got sober in January of 1961, a month before I was born. And every disgruntled Catholic from 1961 until yesterday wanted to sit down and vent their opinions about the Catholic Church to Father <laughs> Terry. <laughs> so the story goes. I used to go to his white flag meeting, great meeting in downtown LA, men's stag. 
And, you know, I got all this pent up anger at the Catholic church. This is before I actually really got sober. I, I, I was like, you know, in and out. It's like one of my four month sobrieties. And I said, Hey, Terry, any way you and I could go to lunch sometime and talk. And he just looked at me and said, about what he was seeing. He always had a twinkle in his eyes, always making <laughs> jokes. He went so crazy. He would make Catholic jokes. Like he was, right. uh, <laughs> he, he got it. Huh? He got it. Totally. He got it. I mean, he would even make, uh, in a, like on the verge of like crazy Catholic jokes, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, so I said, he said about what? And I go, oh, I don't know. I just want to, you know, maybe sit down and talk. He goes, do you, do you need a sponsor? And I said, Oh no, I have a sponsor. And he said, okay, I have a meeting on Sunday at six o'clock on Wilshire. I'll meet you at this IHOP or Denny's or whatever across the street at four uh, 30. And so I walk in, there he is sitting there in his Catholic priest thing with the little white thing around his neck and whatever. And I sit down, we order food and um, make a small talk. And then he just looks at me and he goes, okay, shoot. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you want to sit down here and tell me about your experience with the Catholic church. And I said, how did you know that? And he just like rolled his eyes like, I'm a Catholic priest and I'm an AA <laughs> and I barely talk, know yeah. you and you wanted mm. to talk and you don't want me to sponsor you. So what the fuck else could it be? <laughs> so I right, right away, I blurted out, uh, they used to duct tape my mouth. They, they hit me with paddles. They hit me with ruling sticks they told me i was going to go to hell for masturbating they told me my soul was going to be covered in venial mortal sins that i had to burn off in purgatory this is all when i'm fucking eight years old terry and he said you sure that's all they taught you <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest lines ever <laughs> my mind my mind opened up in that moment, like the matrix, like it opened up like, and I knew, and I knew instantly so many good things that came from my Catholic school upbringing. Mm. So many things that I live to this day. My love of basketball comes from Catholic school. My, my, Com my friendly uh, uh, competitiveness comes from Catholic school. Like I'm, I respect my opponent, but I want to compete. That comes from Catholic school up upbringing. Very competitive, very sports oriented. Um, they told me that Jesus died for my sins. I don't know how much that registers. That was a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know that you're sold on that one quite yet. Oh, no, I don't but, think so. But they, but if I was, that would be a really good one, wouldn't it? Died <laughs> for my sins. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. So, and we had a long talk and he said, you know, we don't do corporal punishment anymore. People, people learn from their mistakes. It took the church a long time, but we don't do corporal punishment. You don't even have purgatory anymore. We don't, we don't, we don't say what sins are venial and what sins are mortal. We don't, we don't do that anymore, Bob. And so what you have to ask yourself is, can you forgive the church? 
Ooh, wow. A little bit too much for a guy a year sober or, for, or three months sober, four months sober. A little bit too much. And I was like, fuck no. But then once I got sober, like, of course, yeah, of course. You got to forgive to be forgiven. You've got to learn forgiveness. Well, and we, learn, and, and we learn that forgiving isn't for the other person. But it's what I realized, no. But what I realized is Terry did that at least a thousand times with people, a thousand dinners, a thousand, two thousand times. He let somebody vent their childhood experience in Catholic school to him. And he was charming and he was gracious and he was intelligent and he was compassionate. And I don't think they make people like him anymore. I don't think they make them anymore. That's how amazing he was. And so, you know, I can't believe the other thing is I can't believe the guy from fucking offspring's wife is his, is father Terry's niece. That's crazy. <laughs> Small world. It can, that means father quick. Terry might've heard offspring. Yes. Is that possible? <laughs> Pro probably, you know, but when he's, when he said he was 83 and of natural causes, I was like, that's, it's a good way to go. You know, that your body just gets tired and you, what year you is it right now? So he was 61 years sober. That is nuts. Uh, he was yeah, also I, he, he was also the head of the addiction uh, division of the Catholic Archdiocese of Los Angeles, too. And so I called him. I had a Catholic priest that came from the retirement community in San Luis Obispo directly, didn't go through the through to Father Terry. And this guy, Bill, his name was, was fucking miserable you couldn't believe he was a man of god just a miserable angry grumpy guy and so i called terry and i said hey we got a retired priest out here and maybe you come by and visit him he's in the retirement community in san luis obispo i learned there's a retirement community for catholic priests in san luis obispo is that weird <laughs> like you like once you don't have a church anymore, you go like live in San Luis Obispo. <laughs> you go to exile. <laughs> the exile is San Luis Obispo. So, and from this guy Bill, I realized like a lot of them start heavy drinking up there because there's nothing to do. <laughs> like, mm. So, so, so I get Terry. He says, "Sure." Another example: How many fucking times did he go visit somebody in rehab? Ten thousand times. So he comes by. I tell him, you know, I tell Bill that this, you know, Father Terry's coming. He, I, he didn't know who he was. I kind of briefed him. He's like, he's like that Catholic priest, sober guy. So he comes and he goes into Bill's bungalow at Las Encinas, and he comes out, and I go, "Did you um, make any headway?" And he goes, <laughs> "Nope." <laughs> Terry went like this. He went, nope. I gave him my best material too. That guy does not. He said that guy does not have a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, if that's not the truth of things, right? That if you don't have a, sense, not have of a humor, sense of humor, like there's no point in like trying. And guess what? So many people have lost their sense of humor. Yeah. They, and, and I'll leave it with that. Like, may you be blessed with a sense of humor. May you always stand upright and be strong. And may you stay forever young. Like, there are things that matter. And it ain't the fucking Kardashians. And it ain't TikTok. 
There are things that fucking matter in existence. Father Terry's life mattered. It mattered. It changed mine. It changed tens of thousands of people's lives. That matters. TikTok does not matter. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, the thing that I'm so struggling with is people like Father Terry, we're not making them anymore. They don't exist. People like Gloria Scott don't exist anymore. They only make them back in the day. They're not making them anymore. <laughs> right? I'm not that. I don't have the patience of Father Terry. I don't have the fucking love of heart of Gloria Scott. I don't. But you would think somebody would have become them. It's really sad. I, I, it's one of the reasons why I think AA is really going to go through a really tough transformation here in the next 10, 20, 30 years. I don't think there are people like Chuck C anymore. I don't think there are people like Clancy anymore. I don't think there's people like Carrie White anymore, Carrie, Carrie Fisher. I don't think there are people like that anymore. And, I don't think know, they're making them. I, I think that if there are, we're not seeing them because they're not, they're being um, upstaged by the people that are slick, that are doing the Instagram, the sound bites, and they're doing the TikToks, and they're doing that we're going to do a TED Talk, and we're going to do this. That's all cute. That's probably even necessary, you know, on some level. But who, who are the people doing the work? I've met some great people, but maybe they just got some ripening to do before they come in, before they get as... Uh, I think it's notorious. hard to... But I don't think there's that respect, that reverence that I have for Gloria Scott and Buddy Arnold and, and, and Cubby. And there's not that reverence for people anymore. There's not. And that's part of the whole thing of it. That's you part have of the to cultural respect shift. the person... Uh, you have yeah. to respect the person to gain their wisdom. If you don't respect them and you and you make fun of their wisdom, you just get what you've got right now, which is society. It's a society on fire. Mm-hmm. They don't make t- Father Terry's anymore. They don't. And, and it's all of our faults. It's my fault for not like modeling after that. It's society's fault for not valuing wisdom. It's, it's the triviality, everybody chasing triviality and not really chasing substantive things like how to parent, how to love, how to care, how to, how to, how to open your heart up. Nobody's talking about that shit. We're talking about rules and regs, rules and regs. You got to work a four step. You got to do this. You got to fucking do that. I fucking, if you're not willing to do this, you're not willing to be sober. Suboxone's not sober. This is sober. This is not. This is, it's so not what Father Terry was about. It's not what Gloria Scott was about. It's not what, what, um, you know, what attracted me to those people and to AA. What that Father Terry was in AA and the Gloria Scott was in AA and the Buddy Arnold was in AA made it like, well, I could be in AA because those fucking people are cool. Right? And that and there were so many people like that. You know, Doug Figer and fucking people were cool, man. And now they're not. 
I'm telling you, I go no, to no, meetings. I, I've been going to meetings. They're not, not people like really like you just can't wait to hear them share. I saw, I went to Father Terry's meeting probably every Monday night for about six or seven years. I couldn't wait till he shared. And this other guy, Joe Riley, Joe Riley's the one that said, Hey, I heard you work in one of those places. And I said, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said, You know what else AA say about those places? And I said, no, because everything was a punchline to Joe Riley. I, mm-hmm. I said, no, what, what, do you, what do you say? What, what do we say about those places? And he goes, those places are where you go when you're thinking about stopping drinking. AA is where you come <laughs> when you know you want to quit. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is the coolest old guys at the white flag. Oh, God rest their, all of their souls. I went, and met, I went and saw Joe Riley when he was in the hospital. Um, yeah, I, I just like, I hope something changes. I hope, I hope uh, there's a new day dawning. I hope that people will value wisdom and, and have decorum and have respect and personal respect for one another. But I'm, I'm not optimistic, really. Not holding your breath, but you I know, don't, I don't that think is a very optimistic thing for you, for you to say, for you to say that and think that and feel that and to take that into your every day, you know, it, it does make a difference because it's how we present what we attract, what people are hearing. And we're in a position where a lot of people hear us, maybe not like, a, not like a 10,000 person audience. But those 30, 40 people, they're watching us and they're watching us hard. The way we live, the example we set is important. That's why it it is important that you do what you do and that you show up and that you bring what you bring. You know, well, you too, everybody. But I mean, uh, I just I just hope that I hope that AA seems as appealing that the people, some of the people seem as appealing to new people as Father Terry seemed to me. I mean, you're talking about, I met him in like 1988 or 89. Like I was six years away from being sober, Chuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. Okay. All right. Well, this is just getting home. I got to deal with all this, you know, one more day and Christmas and four days and Oh, no, wait, it's Christmas today or tomorrow. Okay, I'm sure we had a great Christmas. (laughs) I'm going to pack everything up right now. Okay, let's put it away. (laughs) Yay. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas, Happy holidays. Hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Bug. God bless us all, everyone. Nice. Thank you, guys. That was fantastic. That was from the (laughs) atheists, by the way. (laughs) Okay. Good night, you guys. Good night. Good night. night.